I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gonna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is the fantastic SP. You know, I, I like how you bring in the show every week because it sounds like your male gonads are dropping as you actually introduce, like, welcome. <laughs> no comments. Uh, th- that is my own business and none of yours, SP. I see. Well, you know, don't ask, don't tell, but uh, I just want to say congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, Chris is away this week. If, if you didn't gather by the fact that we are off the rail within 30 seconds of the episode, uh, yes, Chris is away this week. Unfortunately, the fans are keeping him away this week. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Should he wish to expand on that, he can expand in the future, but uh, uh, he should be back next week. We cannot actually guarantee it at this point, uh, but he should be back next week. But um, time will tell. And again, the fans are keeping him away. The, the fans are pretty. I, they're they're pretty loud uh, yeah. for Chris this week. I mean, they he's are. he's got some he's got some fans to deal with. Yeah. Some legitimate fans. Yeah, I heard that he had to uh, tape off a wall just to keep the fans away. That's what I heard. I know. You know, sometimes you get into that whole, what, what's it called when you do the body painting, when you spray paint over, you know, yeah. somebody dumps a paint can on you or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That's the, when he said he had to tape up a wall, that's what I assumed he was doing. You're right. He did get body painted by me. That's right. That was what we did while I was away. All right, let's start off with Windows 11 news. That's right. If you are a Mac fan and don't care at all about Windows, you should go for a doze right now because that's what this news article is about is is Windows. Did you just try to do a rhyme between Windows and doze? Sure, why not? Okay. Uh, sure, why not? Uh, you know what? You can go and you can put on Bambi and you can check out the doze and let them entertain you for the next... 20 minutes while we talk about windows. I don't need to put on Bambi. I just need to drive down the street by my house. I mean, they're out. They are a plentiful and I worry about my car every morning. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly where I live in a nutshell. That's that's all that ever happens over here, to be honest. On my street? Yes, I, I do live on your street. You're right. Okay. Well, I first have to ask a question before we start this. Windows 11, I know we talked about it before, but it really isn't it like... Windows 10 update basically is what it is. No, it's going to be a little bit different because uh, Microsoft did announce that they were creating a whole new Windows 11. This was something we brought to the show a little while ago, um, and they're not continuing to do the whole Windows 10 just perpetual update thing. No, Windows, Microsoft did announce that they are doing a, a whole new Windows 11, which will 
look different and have some different features in some different ways. However, back when they announced this, Microsoft did say that there would be possibly some lack of support when it came to older computers in regard to Windows 11. They said that about three years and newer processors would be officially supported. But older than that, no. Specifically, they had said the Intel 8th generation and forward would be officially supported by Windows 11, but other than that, would not be supported. Now, here's the thing. Hmm. Microsoft has confirmed that there will be a push to get people to Windows 11. They've said that this is going to happen. They're going to continue that push towards Windows 11 like they did with Windows 10. And I think this brings up a question because given that there are so many people running Windows 10 using older hardware, what does that mean for them if they're going to push towards Windows 11 and, and not support anything older than 8th generation Intel? Because I don't know if you remember this, but when Windows 10 came in, it was a very different thing. They supported a ton of old hardware that people never thought that they would. They did support that when it came to Windows 10, but that's not appearing to be the case for Windows 11. Now, Microsoft has confirmed that they are maintaining that these processors are the only officially ones supported, but users can, quote, upgrade at their own risk, end quote, but when they're using older hardware. And this is because the check for the hardware requirements is really going to happen when you're upgrading from Windows 10 to Windows 11. If somebody grabs the ISO that, as we all know how Windows works now, if you get the ISO to image your computer, it's not going to stop you at that point when you have older hardware. So this sounds great, right, SP? This sounds like everybody's going to be set and that we just go ahead and, and continue on like we did Windows 10, just install it and know that it might not be that stable. Sounds perfect, right? Since I have a fourth generation processor in my machine, I'll say, right? <laughs> well, guess what? It's not looking good because Microsoft said that they are not recommending this method, even though it won't stop people from install installing. In fact, when The Verge first posted that they this information was confirmed that Microsoft would not be stopping older hardware at the ISO install stage, Microsoft reached out to The Verge to state that they do not recommend it because they may not be entitled to Windows updates, including security ones, when you're running older, unsupported hardware. Now, it's very vague because it was it was very ominous, very may not be entitled, very soft language. So when I put together the show notes today on August 30th, 2021, I did not see an update, but I did see that The Verge was waiting for more information back from Microsoft because they did obviously ask for clarification. Now, before I get your take on this, OSP, I just want to go and throw this out here right now. When I heard that Microsoft was doing the Windows 11 thing, it was a little unclear to me why they were giving up on their whole the final Windows thing when it came to Windows 10. Now, don't get me wrong. I said that Windows 10 would never be the final thing, so did everybody else. Everybody else said, not going to happen, Microsoft. That was a dumb statement you made. And sure enough, this came out. But I was wondering when Windows 11 came out, why they didn't just do a major update to Windows 10. Well, if this is the case, and Microsoft is holding their ground that they want certain more modern hardware only officially supported, 
I think that answers the question. I think that answers the question on the purpose of Windows 11, aside from some changes visually and things like that. I think that this is their way to stop having to support all of that old hardware that's been floating around because Windows 10 has been around for so long and they've continued to do updates to these computers that were old back when they put Windows 10 on. I think this might be their way that they're trying to force out that old hardware, which the Windows upgrade structure of yesteryear naturally did because every time you went to a new version of Windows, certain hardware fell off the support. So I think this might be this might be the key there that they're looking to dump a whole bunch of old hardware for some reason. And maybe it's just compatibility is just becoming too hard or they can do a lot more if they dump that officially. So I think that might be the answer that we've been wondering here. Okay, a couple things here. First of all, I upgraded to Windows 10 with a Pentium 4 processor, I believe. That was rough. That was my media server at the time. I retired that thing last year. It was not keeping up with anything. It, basically, it was the problem where it could not drive the television anymore. And this is before I upgraded to 4K. So I had Windows 10 on it. It was really slow, but it did work. And I don't think that it should have been allowed to go to Windows 10 because I'll tell you why. I have two other computers in the house that I upgraded to Windows 10 that I probably shouldn't have. And here is why I don't think that Microsoft should have allowed that. And I'm going to tell you a little story. And this just happened this week, actually. So I'm going to go see my family. And by seeing my family, one of the things that I have to do, I've talked about this before on the podcast, is I'm the tech support for my parents' computer, which is a second generation i7 processor. It's a Windows machine. It is upgraded to Windows 10. I'm the only one that does any maintenance on it. And I do maintenance on it once or twice a year. I have not done maintenance on it in a year and a half. So it's in desperate need of somebody coming in and making sure the updates have gone through or whatever. But here's the thing. My dad, he's like, do I need this anymore? I don't use it. Do I need it anymore? Because he uses his iPad Pro all the time. So he says, what I want to do is I want to get a MacBook Pro. And I want to use that because then he can take it wherever he is because he's at home. He's at the lake home. He's traveling different places. He wants to be able to use his machines. I'm like, well, first of all, if you're already using your iPad Pro for everything, I don't think you really need a computer. But if you would like a computer at home, a MacBook Pro would be awesome. And you'd be able to do anything that you really need to do around the house anyway. And he was concerned about maintaining the Wi-Fi network, maintaining the uh, cable modem, because they still have cable, uh, broadband cable at their place. I don't think they have fiber available to their house, but maybe they do. I don't know. I'll have to ask. Mom will know. And yeah, I was like, yeah, you don't need the Windows machine anymore. But here's the thing about either side, though. And this is the final chapter in the story. Whether it's an Apple product or a Microsoft product, Windows product, doesn't matter. It's going to stop to be supported at some point. And then you're going to have to move on and you're going to have to get better hardware. Now, for those on a fixed income, it's going to be difficult to do that. And like my parents are retired, they are technically on a fixed income. And it's expensive. Computers are expensive, more so now than they used to be a couple of years ago. So, in that light, I'm wondering if Microsoft should just select like five years 
I don't know. What what is the correct spot for them to say, okay, we want people to upgrade after X amount of years? I don't know what that is, but basically what they're saying now, it's three years, right? That's what they're saying, or three generations, which is, I'm thinking it's three years. Is it three years? Is it four years? Is it five years? What is it? Uh, three generations back is where we're looking at, and I guess by the time it launches, maybe we'd be at four, um, but I, I think... I think the intention is they're building from modern technology and then we'll see where that goes. But no, I, I do agree with you, though. I think that there needs to be expectations set on how far back that they will support. And I think that that is realistic because of everything that you just said with upgrade paths and support and things like that. Like, I think it totally makes sense. And people can have that idea and they can know that at some point, it's going to stop being supported and it, it makes sense. It's really hard for a manufacturer of any or a software developer to support really old hardware. It's just, you look at any platform, it, it's hard to support really old hardware. And there's a ton of things supported on Windows 10. There, There is. And like I said, there's stuff supported for Windows 10 that should not be supported with windows 10 like that old pentium 4 processor mm -hmm. i mean that was ridiculous i could boot it up today i still have the machine i could boot it up today get a regular monitor for it and be able to use it i Here, mean just be i just looked up the windows 10 systems requirements yeah one gigahertz or faster processor and a one one gigabyte of ram yeah it's ridiculously or two low. gigabyte for 64 bit but it gets really difficult when you try to do anything with graphics, anything yeah. at all with graphics. I mean, just playing a YouTube video is going to be difficult for it. So I think there there should be some sort of hard cutoff, but I, I don't know what that is. And I don't know what the expectation is for support for just the general masses. Because remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we're talking about students not able to access technology at home that they would get normally at school, right? So if you're talking about people like that, being able to just access the internet just for information purposes or maybe learning purposes or something like that, you need to be able to support a computer for a certain amount of time in order for the everybody to have a chance to have access to it. So it's those sorts of things. People on fixed income, the little kids that might not have families that can have the latest generation of stuff. I mean, let's face it, the stuff is expensive. So that actually expands to a lot of people or the uh, just any, you know, older people. It's an issue of accessibility. So where where is that line? Should, should they have some sort of a operating system that will work with older, slower processors and we talked about several under development over the years it's not mm -hmm. windows it's other things so maybe that's the solution is you upload a different operating system that can work with that stuff and can be able to be updated for security patches that's the big thing is accessibility and security so i just looked up the uh current i believe it's the current version yeah the current version of mac os and their requirements and because, you know, I think it's a good place to look because Apple does have such a tight, tight grip on the hardware that is officially supported because that's their model. And so their MacBook is 2015 or later. Their MacBook Air is 2013 or later. 
Uh, their Pro is 2013 or later. The Mac Mini's 2014 or later. iMac 2014 or later. iMac Pro 2017 or later. Mac Pro 2013 or later. Now, here's here's the thing when you when you think about those. Oh, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of features that that then they list that you have to more modern hardware than that. But when you look at that. I think that's kind of in that five-year realm. And, and I know people are doing the math and they're going, well, we're almost 2022, Stephen. But the thing that you have to remember is that Mac, Apple, has only had certain models released at certain times. So there's probably, if you were to look back at sort of what an average gamer PC or an average Windows PC uh, build was each year, and you stacked it up to the Apple you know, evolutions, you would see there were probably some years in there where there wasn't a release. I know Mac Mini was quite a bit like that. And and so I think that it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison. Uh, if you look at the years on sort of traditional Windows hardware versus on Mac hardware, because again, you kind of have a, a less evolution on the Apple, but it's not too far off in any case from that sort of five-year-ish realm. It's it's a heck of a lot newer than one gigahertz Pentium. <laughs> yeah, when, yeah. Like I said, that Pentium Four. I forget. I think it was like one gigahertz uh, Pentium Four. I think I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. And I'm not really interested in doing that. But yeah, it was very, very difficult to use that machine. And I don't. I I just stopped. I was like, no, this is stupid. I got to move on with life. And that's when I made sure that well, I was transitioning to watching things stream. So I have, I'm blessed to have good enough internet that I can stream stuff at 4k when it's working. Uh, so all my TVs have uh, Roku on them. I have a couple with Apple TV and then I have most of them with an Xbox on it. So I have streaming devices on there and that's how I've gone away from the old media streaming thing. And I know people you still use Plex servers and I, I get how that is still good and everything, but I have opted just to use streaming and instead of using that. So that's how I got away from that. Like my dad, he's got an iPad Pro. Does he really need a computer at home? In this day and age, you don't. It's an amazing, the iPad Pro is an amazing machine and you can control your Wi-Fi devices mm -hmm. through it. He's got a early mesh system, the Amplify mesh system. So He's got that and he's got a cable modem, which is honestly supported through the cable company. So he doesn't need a laptop. He doesn't need a computer. Now, could it make it easier for as an interface? Yeah, sure, it could, but he doesn't need anything else. One last thing before we move on uh, off of this, just going back to the hardware minimum requirements. Um, the RAM I mentioned was one gig for 32-bit or 2 gig for 64 on Windows. With Mac, mm. it's 4 gig. And then their, their um, minimum requirements of space is 36 gigs. It's 35.5 gigs. And then hard drive space is 16 gigs on Windows 10 and 20 for 64-bit. Now, I only mention that because I think it's a really good example on sort of how just looking at the raw numbers, the Mac is, is trying to be more of that newer technology, which is, again, I'm not faulting them. That's where it should be. I think the Windows is just too far back, too, too minimum specs, because anybody knows that if you actually try to run Windows with two gigs of RAM, that's not going to happen. 
it's really interesting because they started selling those M1 MacBooks, the, the MacBook Airs originally, and they wanted to default to that eight gigabytes of RAM. You know, eventually that eight gigabytes of RAM is not going to be enough to run their OS because yeah. you just said they're at four now. They're going to be at eight at some point and then move from eight to 16. So you're not going to be able to use that M1 processor forever. Yeah. So anyways, there's your Windows 11 update. You can stop dozing now if you are a, an Apple user. And you can now listen up because SP actually has some really interesting space stuff. This is this is weeks in the making here. This is this is SP, the journalist, reporting here with his own research. That is true. I have been doing these show notes for a couple of weeks. I've been assembling this information for a couple of weeks. And the sad part about it is... I'm not going to give you the end of the story. The end of the story is a month or two, a couple of months in the future. But what are we talking about? We uh, First of all, I talk about space news. That's my primary thing that I talk about on this podcast. And lately, one of the bigger space news stories has been Blue Origin suing NASA predominantly, but also by default SpaceX, about the Human Landing System Contract Award. So Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin Space Launch Company filed a sealed complaint in federal U.S. claims court on Friday, August 13, 2021, against NASA's sole human lander system award to SpaceX in April 2021. No details are known specifically from the complaint since the documents are sealed and not available for public consumption due to the judge's order when the documents were loaded into the court system on Monday, August 16th. 2021. Now, details about the case that are open to the public are available for a 10 cent a page fee on the federal court PACER system. And PACER is all capital letters P A C E R. I don't know what it stands for. I just know that it's the court system that you can retrieve the documents from. Now, according to the court filing, Blue Origin states that, quote, this bid protest challenges NASA's unlawful and improper evaluation of proposals submitted under the HLS option A, BAA, and BAA is broad agency announcement, by the way. Blue Origin spokesman told TechCrunch, quote, Blue Origin filed suit in the U.S. Court of Federal Claims in an attempt to remedy the flaws in the acquisition process found in NASA's human landing system. We firmly believe that the issues identified in this procurement and its outcomes must be addressed to restore fairness, create competition, and ensure a safe return to the moon for America, unquote. In response, NASA has voluntarily paused work on the human landing system program until November 1st, when the U.S. Federal Claims Court is due to render a decision on the complaint. Blue Origins complaint was filed after a government accounting office review or GAO review found no issues with NASA's sole award to SpaceX. $300 million has already been transferred to SpaceX on July 30th, which is the day the GAO denied the protests to the award. NASA continues to support a dual system development award to both SpaceX and Blue Origin but simply does not have the funds to do so. I'm going to repeat that. NASA still continues, even though it did the sole award to SpaceX and did not select Blue Origin, NASA continues to support a dual system development award to both SpaceX and Blue Origin, but 
does not have the funds to do so. Now, new NASA Administrator Bill Nelson is hopeful Congress will be able to provide additional funding to move ahead with the dual award, but that is not a certainty. Also, Administrator Nelson has stated this legal complaint will continue to further delay the Artemis program schedule 2024 lunar landing that has already been stated by NASA's own internal review to not be feasible since the spacesuits to support the mission are unlikely to be ready until 2025. Go back to episode 388 and you will hear all about the spacesuits issue. For its part, Blue Origin is currently suffering from low employee morale, brain drain within the company leadership departing for competitors, and major delays on programs such as the BE-4 rocket engine and both the new Shepard and new Glenn rockets since CEO Bill Smith was hired in 2017. Now, on August 27, 2021, Blue Origin filed a motion to amend the schedule. The court issued an order accepting the amended schedule, delaying most items one week, with the exception of the voluntary pause work. The court order on the 27th did not include a 8 November 21 date or November 8th, 2021 date. So presumably the November 1st, 2021 voluntary pause work date is still in effect. This could be corrected by a future court order. Now, what is the schedule? I actually paid to go into the system and download several of these documents. So I know exactly what's going on, except for the stuff that's hidden from view for the from the general public. So on August 19th, which was in the past week, actually two weeks ago, the parties filed a joint status report. The court adopts the schedule proposed by the parties as follows. August 27th, which was a couple of days ago, the defendant shall file the administrative record. September 3rd, 2021, the plaintiff, which is Blue Origin, shall file any motion regarding the contents of the administrative record. September 9th, 2021, the defendant and defendant interventor shall file their responses to any motion by the plaintiff regarding the administrative record. September 24th, 2021, the party shall cross file cross motions for judgment on the administrative record. And October 6th, 2021, the party shall file replies in support of their cross motions for judgment on the administrative record. And the November 1st, 2021, the defendant's voluntary stay of performance was in there, which means that NASA agreed that they're not going to move forward until the November 1st. Now, if you take a look at the order that was filed on the 27th, most of that was just slipped a week. And the court will hold oral arguments on the cross motions for judgment on the administrative record on October 21st, 2021 at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The court will consult with the parties at a later date regarding location or medium for the argument. So that's what's going on here between now and uh, October 21st. Supposedly, there is going to be a order by the court or a finding by the court by November 1st and that the human landing system can move forward. Along the lines here, if Congress funds NASA through their appropriation bill and they just give enough money for Blue Origin to have their part of the contract, then I think this lawsuit goes away. I think Blue Origin removes their filing or grievance against NASA and that everybody proceeds along the way. If Blue Origin does not get the funding from Congress, then we go through this and either way, NASA's like, hey, you just delayed us by a few months. And 
We had to, you know, we're America here, the United States of America. We had to go through the court process. We had to make sure everything was lawful and legal. And uh, by the way, we can't get to the moon in 2024. So it's going to be at least 2025. By the way, our spacesuits won't be ready until 2025 anyway. So this gives Bill Nelson a chance to say, and Kathy Luters, who's the head of the human space program for NASA, this gives them a heck of an opportunity to say, whoa, time out. We can't make the stated date because of legal complaints. It's genius across the board. Blue Origin <laughs> might get what they want and the SpaceX gets to continue with the $300 million. I, 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 I'm just guessing that they're proceeding ahead with their human landing system version of Starship. I'm, that's just a guess. Uh, they do have a state perform an order of state performance from NASA, so they can't legally spend any of NASA's money. But I don't think there's anything that says that they can't say, "Oh, we've done this on our dime. Can we charge you for it?" You know, after everything's going on, because let's face it, Elon Musk wants to move forward. I I don't know. I I just think I see this as kind of a win 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 across the board here, except for the timeline. If you want to get to the moon, if you want to get to Mars sooner rather than later, that's the only thing that suffers here. And in program management, slipping to the right is like it, it's not a question <laughs> yeah. of if it's a question of when. So this is a nice, hey, we had a little problem. Anyway, Stephen, you've been <laughs> quiet. So what's going on? No, I, I'm not as optimistic as at it about it as you are. And the reason why is because. SpaceX has just been dominating everything. And like, I want competition. I 100% want competition when it comes to space stuff. I've expressed that a thousand times on here. I think it's really good for us to continue to advance as the human race. I think it's a very important thing that we get beyond the governments and we open up that to a bunch of different bodies just beyond what the governments want to do. I think that there's a lot of benefit to it. But I think that when you look at lawsuits like this, it it's counter to that. It's slowing progress down and it's trying to reach an end goal through lawsuits rather than innovation. And and that's where I think this kind of faults the whole pro the whole process is that you are now slowing down the system and trying to get your way, not because you're the best and you can win the contract or because you've proven yourself but because you think everything should be fair. Now, if if I am paying my tax dollars to the government and the government is hiring a private cleaning company to clean the toilets of the government facility, I would like them to award that contract to the cleaning company that can clean the toilets properly without exploding them or without making a mess or without having to sit there and and take a second and third and fourth crack at cleaning those toilets before they get it right and and i just think like i know i just related the whole space program to cleaning toilets but i i just think that that there is got to be sort of credit to the U.S. government for awarding SpaceX the contract because SpaceX has proven themselves. 
And they're the ones that know how to clean the toilets efficiently right now, not in two years from now. They, they've proven it time and time again. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to show that they can get more efficient at cleaning those toilets and they're going to have better gadgets at cleaning those toilets. And, and so I think that it makes sense, their decision that they had. And I think that Bezos and company is just trying to get a piece of that pie because they haven't proven themselves and they're trying to do it through the, the lawsuit method. So I, I don't fault the U.S. government at this time for sticking with SpaceX because they have proven themselves and they have demonstrated their trajectory. And so I, I don't think that it's a bad decision. I think that Blue Origin just needs to do better before it's actually a legitimate complaint. But that's my rant. And, and I'm sorry, that was a weird, weird path going down the toilet path. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, so let's, it's a government service contract. That's basically what they're gunning for here is to do a government service contract with contractors to take you to the moon or to the Mars. That's what they're doing here. Now, along the way, you have to actually develop the service because it doesn't exist right now. So they're along the way to do that. But let's just say that you, years from now, you have one contractor that cleans the toilets for all of the government. And it's located in one building. Let's just say St. Louis. I, I have no idea <laughs> okay. why I chose that. Let's just say St. <laughs> Louis. And then St. Louis all of a sudden either has an earthquake, a tornado. Maybe the building blows up because of a gas leak or something like that. And all of a sudden, you can't clean the toilets for the entire United States government because that one building that housed the business with all its cleaning tools, all the cleaning vans, all the brushes and cleaning supplies which is probably why the building blew up because they were improperly stored. But anyway, right. they can no longer clean the toilets because that infrastructure no longer exists. It blew up. Now, say <laughs> you have company A that is in St. Louis right. and then company B that is in, oh, I don't know. It's just Billings, Montana. Okay. It's located in Billings, Montana. And then the company B is not affected by the earthquake, not affected by the tornadoes, does not have a gas leak because it has renewable energy, and it can now take over temporarily cleaning all the government buildings because it still is there to get something done. Now, you might not be able to get to all the government buildings three times a week, maybe you have to scale down to one or two times a week, but the government buildings still get cleaned, and then you don't have a fall of society because you have mass diseases coming out of these bathrooms that are not clean in the, inside the U.S. government. So having two companies there to service the U.S. government is of advantage to the United States government in case one goes away. So I get that. I also get that NASA's decision here is clearly to go with the company that's in St. Louis because they can they've already been doing it. They are more advanced. They actually have a practical way forward. They don't have a brain drain, meaning they actually have the expertise in-house to go right. forward with this. They have a demonstrated period of performance with past projects that's moving forward and not delayed like the BE-4 engine and the new Glenn rocket and the new Shepard rocket and that sort of thing. So I, I know. I get it. I get why they chose SpaceX. I'm not saying that's a bad decision. Mm. It was a good decision for NASA to choose SpaceX if they were going to choose one company. They had three companies. They had Dynatics, they had Blue Origin, and they had, uh, which Blue Origin, I think, I'm trying to remember which one was the national team. It was either led by Dynatics or Blue Origin. Anyway, 
And then you had the SpaceX team. SpaceX clearly won the competition. Right. And Blue Origin is not saying that SpaceX did not win the competition. Blue Origin is saying, NASA, oh no, you're bad because you never told us that you were just going to select one. You told everybody you were going to select two, but no, you selected one. Now, that has been proven false. If you read the GAO report, which I have, I've actually gone in depth and read this, that NASA was fully in their rights. They said in the contract, we can award however many awards we want. Just because Jeff Bezos thought he read something in the contract does not mean (laughs) that it was actually in the contract. So what Jeff Bezos has, though, is a lot of money to spend on lawyers to try to slow down the process, get through this, and maybe get through a budgetary period with the United States Congress to say, hey, look, we really need to, because eventually you're going to get in an era where you're going to have a mess in St. Louis and you're not going to have the Billings, Montana facility to come in and save you. And that's kind of where we were. Let's let's take a step back 10 years ago. Right. This, we're exactly where we were with the space shuttle. We closed down the space shuttle and we did not have a way to get back into orbit until 2020, almost 10 years after the last space shuttle mission. So, yeah, I, I get why it's good to have two landing systems. I really do. I think it's a good idea. But I also know that there's only so much money that NASA gets. Yeah. And I also know that the United States, as well as the rest of the world, has other bills to pay right now. And I also get that we have things to pay for that are outside of pandemics and outside of space exploration that we should be spending money on, like cancer research or poverty or hunger, you know, stuff like that, you know, humanitarian aid. I get all of that. So you have to balance the money that you have with what you can do. And in that light, I will say that the United States is not the only country that is trying to get to the moon and the Mars. Yeah. There's other countries out there that are trying to do it. I've predominantly been reporting on the United States of America. There's a reason for that. But the basic tenet is there are multiple countries that are doing this. So for humanity's sake, humanity is going to continue on. And regardless what happens with the NASA programs into its exploration of the moon and Mars. Anyway, it was a long explanation here. We're going to keep our eyes on here. We're going to keep our peepers on what's happening here all the way until November 1st and November 8th, you know, whatever that the court, U.S. uh, federal claims court decides here. And then we'll see what NASA is going to do. We'll see what Congress is going to do. And we'll see what the actual date is to land on the moon and what system is going to be used to land on the moon. So keep your ears out on the official Gonna Geek show to find out whether it's Bezos or Musk scrubbing the toilets. They should have to scrub (laughs) off. (laughs) Uh, Moving on to the next news point here. I have to do this. I needed to do this. I was so irritated when this news came out like a day after we recorded the last official Gonna Geek show. And it's that Google... How dare you? How dare you fall into the same trap that others are doing? And it's that Google announced that Pixel 6 will not... Well, I don't know if they officially announced, but it's basically solidified that that the Pixel 6 will not come with a charger. This might sound familiar to you because we talked heavily about this when Apple last year made the change of removing the charger from... The iPhones. And can we qualify this for a second? 
So the iPhone comes with a cord still, a lightning cord. Does the Pixel Does come with a cord? Does it come with a cord? I don't I remember, to remember coming with a cord. Well, okay, so it might have been the earphones. Well, maybe cord. it did come with a cord. Mm, I don't remember. I, I unboxed I, I, one for my in-laws. I don't remember. Oh, now I got to look it up. So continue. <laughs> in, in any case, I don't know because the Pixel Six uh, has only had some things announced. So I don't know if it's coming with a cord or not. But but it's not coming with the charging block for sure. I, I might come with the cord. I don't know. I I, I really don't know. But it did yes, come. it comes with a oh. lightning to USB-C cable. Right. Yes, that would make sense because they want, yeah, because they were doing the half USB-C. That makes sense that they would switch to that because they're giving a non-proprietary conversion cable. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so in any case, the Pixel 6 is not going to have a charger, whether it has a cable in there or not. I don't know. But they've announced this. And I wanted to bring this up because I, I genuinely think that it's a bad idea. I threw a lot of mud at Apple when they announced this, and I want to throw the mud to Google, even though I'm a happy Pixel user. I think that this is the wrong decision for phones. And I and they're claiming, companies are claiming this is helping e-waste, and people are trying to formulate statistics to show that it will help with e-waste and all this other things, or that the dollars will be passed forward to the consumer. I, I don't think that that's going to matter the the dollar figure thing because at the end of the day these things cost like a dollar to make but they're just excluding them from the box and i i don't think it's a good idea because cables and things start to go bad and when they go bad people make questionable decisions trying to get them working sometimes it's shoving the cable in harder sometimes it's buying a cheaper cable that will actually cause electronics problems and i, I wanted to bring this up because today i read a um article on nine to five google that says here's how many of our readers said they'll buy a charger with the pixel six and the long story is short is that uh 50.1 of the poll said that they would not, or that they would use their existing charger with the Pixel 6, that they would not buy a new charger. 32% said, yes, I will buy it. I want a faster charging because the Pixel 6 will have the higher USB-C spec, the 65, uh, I think it's 65 PD is, I think, the USB spec. And then there's 8.8% that said, no, I will buy a charger from another brand. 4.6 said other, and 4 said, yes, I don't have a USB-C charger. And I wanted to bring this up because I don't know that these numbers are going to play the life of the phone. Because this is a poll that 9to5 Google did, and they're like, wow, this surprises us. 50.1% of the people said that they'll use their existing charger. Maybe this well will help e-waste, but this is the people's opinion of when they get that phone delivered. When they get their phone delivered, they will use their existing charger. Is that charger going to last them the length of their phone? Or in three to three months from now, or in a year from now, are they going to have to go buy it? They may opt up front not to get a charger, but I'm going to guess over the life of that phone for an average consumer, something's going to die on it. They're going to have to buy the charger. And so I think you have to look at the whole, the whole life cycle of that phone. And just because you're not replacing it up front, just because you're reusing a charger up front, 
doesn't mean that it's actually saving e-waste if it's happening anywhere in the life cycle of the phone, especially with an upgrade like this with power capability where you end up having uh, current Pixel users charging at the 18-watt spec and the Pixel 6 will be at the 65-watt spec. Guaranteed. And obviously, this is me with no substantiation on this, but I will guarantee a portion of that 50% will go, oh, I see. It's like a quarter of the charging time. Okay, yeah, I will go buy that faster charger, even though I said I was going to use my old one. Because who does that? People who see a dramatic increase, they hold off at first. We've seen this with other devices. And then they go, you know what? I want that faster charging speed. And that's what they do. Even if their charger is perfectly good, people want the faster speeds. And so you'll have a percentage of those people who will go through after they see it roll out. So I think articles like this with 9to5Google are uh, painting an incorrect picture. I think they're helping the propaganda. I think that they're they're not necessarily the most accurate when it comes to looking at the whole e-waste thing for the cycle of the phone. And Google, I think that if you're delivering uh, upwards of a $1,000 product, product, which is what it's rumored to be, I think you should give a bloody charger to make sure that the people aren't buying a terrible non-USB-C spec charger that's going to kill their device. I think that this is another recycle of the problem and the things I ranted about last year. So there you go. We have breaking news okay. to bring to the podcast right now. Okay. Listener Albert right. has actually I know. discarded his flip phone and purchased a smartphone. Now, he says it's a cheap smartphone. He hasn't said what the brand is, type or whatever, so we're not going to force him with that. But he actually has a smartphone right now versus a flip phone. I gave you a bell, Albert. Gave you a bell. <laughs> so not only did that happen, but in doing so, he also confirmed that his cheap smartphone didn't come with a charger brick, but it did come with a charging oh, cable. Come on. It's so ridiculous. I don't get it. They're, they're not expensive products. Oh, create a, a better recycling program if you truly are, are, are genuinely interested in reducing e-waste, create a recycling program, equip your new phones with new products. Because if you look back when USB-C first came out, Chris actually talked about it on this show where there was all sorts of things that didn't conform to the right standard and cause problems. They still exist to a degree. Apple, they were so quick, so quick to be like, oh, look at all these problems. You need to not have a third-party adapter. And, and this was back in like iPhone 3, 4S days. They were, they were so quick to call out all of them because, oh, they might not conform to the right specs. That might be why they're catching on fire and all this other stuff. So like, just give the bloody charger. And he, uh, Albert has come in and he has mentioned what phone it is. It is the Samsung Galaxy A20 and he bought it at Target. So that is the phone that he got without a charging brick. All right. I think that we have railed against this charging <laughs> brick for, for quite some time. I will say that there's a lot of availability for plugging that USB cable in nowadays. Uh, I have charging ports on my couch now. 
getting kind of long in the tooth. It's about four years old now, but it's still there. It's still available. I have them in my car now. I have them in a lot of different places. You know, the wall outlets that I put in, the surge protectors, they actually have USB outlets on them right now. You can buy the actual, you know, the AC outlets now with just charging into it, but it's not surge protected, so I wouldn't advise it necessarily. <laughs> so yeah, there is more and more availability of plugging in a device here. And I get it. It might not be the wattage that you need, but at least it's there. Right. So I, it, does it create e-waste along the way? Yes, because the same outlets that were in my grandparents' house when they bought it were the same outlets that were in their house when they sold it 50 years later, right? That is not the case anymore. So you're creating e-waste just by upgrading the stuff in your house. I don't know what the right answer is here. I get wanting to reduce the amount of energy that you use. I get wanting to use more applicable appliances and devices. I get that whole thing and it makes uh, society more productive, makes you uh, a little bit more efficient in your use of precious resources along the way, but it does waste a lot of stuff when it happens along the way. And then unfortunately, recycling here in the United States, they say they recycle it, but they don't. They throw it in the trash just like everywhere else because recycling isn't as cheap as it is. You would think that if you recycle like a smartphone or a charger block, that it would have precious metals in there that they would love to get their hands on. But it's just still not worth the price of reclaiming that precious metals uh, for most precious metals, at least right now, uh, than it is to mine them just, you know, from mines that are incredibly difficult to get it from. But it, that just it's a cost measure. Is it costs less to get it from the mine that costs a lot to do or does it cost less to reclaim it from products that are already out there right now it's mining is the chief thing i don't know uh, steven i don't know what the right answer is here i just i think it's stupid that you don't get a charger with the thing with, with the device whatever the device is whether it's a tablet a computer whatever but at the same time it's like well is it gonna cost me an extra hundred dollars like apple Right. They're going to throw an extra $100 on there for you to get a charging block with your phone. Uh, if you go on their website, I'll, I, I don't know what it is for a charging block for the iPhone 12, but I imagine it's at least 50 bucks. The price I know didn't that, go down when they removed it. Right. And, and then that three-in-one uh, charger with the, the, the contactless charging, you know, that's 200 bucks. So it's all... It's expensive and they get you one way or the other. I, I don't know. I, it's annoying. Yes. But like the headphone jack, you know, it's just <laughs> something in the, in the notch. It's something you got to live with. All right. So let's round up our news point here with James Webb. Yeah, your favorite space telescope. Love I James Webb. Love I, I, lo I love James Webb. James Webb's, Webb is like one of the greatest things to happen in the history of space. All right, well, stay tuned to the tail end of this news point for how Stephen feels at the end of here. So, all right, NASA and its partners working on the James Webb Space Telescope have completed their final ground tests of the giant observatory and now preparing for a trip to South America spaceport to launch it later this year. We'll see, as Stephen says, if it's actually going to launch later this year or not. Now, the testing took place at the facilities of the prime contractor, which is Northrop Grumman in California, 
The engineering teams must now ensure that the 2.7, or excuse me, 7.2 ton, or for you Canadians, 6.5 metric tons, telescope makes it safely to the European spaceport in French Guiana. NASA said in a statement that shipping preparations will be completed in September. James Webb will then make the journey from California by sea, sealed in a shipping container, a security container. It will pass through the Panama Canal and reach French Guiana at least 55 days before the launch date, according to a statement by the ESA, that's the European Space Agency. There is, however, still one question standing in the way of the Grand Telescope's mission. Its name which is given to honor the 1960s NASA administrator James Webb, who's largely credited with the success of the agency's Apollo Moon Exploration Program and was also a huge proponent to keep science within NASA's mission. Okay, Stephen, I don't know if we talked about this before. I don't think we have, so this might be new new information for you. According to allegations, he also created another legacy, that of homophobia and persecution of LGBT experts. Did you hear this, Stephen? I did not. No, I I did not hear this. So the journal Nature recently reported that NASA is investigating Webb's past transgressions to see whether there is sufficient grounds to remove the honor of having the observatory named after him. NASA investigates renaming James Webb Telescope after anti-LGBT plus claims. That is the name of the article in Nature. According to that article, NASA's acting chief historian, which is Brian Odom, is working with a non-agency historian to review archival documents about Webb's policies and actions, according to agency officials. Only after the investigation concludes will NASA decide what to do. NASA has given no estimate of when its investigation might be complete, and Odom says that the COVID-19 pandemic has limited historians' access to archival records. I read this entire report on Nature.com, this entire article on Nature.com, and in it, there is no substantiating evidence, and it has been uncovered so far, of direct transgressions by Webb of the nature that is being reported. However, since they are also including general policies and the uh, chosen of, of who gets to do what within NASA and stuff like that, this is a long-reaching, very far-reaching investigation that needs to occur. Since no direct transgressions have been uncovered they're not throwing too many more resources at this until they find something. It's going to be a complete report whenever it comes out. It might be after James Webb launches, the Space Telescope launches. But it is something that I want to say that the agency is taking seriously. The United States government is taking seriously. If they find anything about this, they will then uh, go about renaming the telescope. Of To date, there has been NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, which we talked about before, he has not conducted a search for a name. There is no contest for a new name or anything. So right now, they're staying the course with James Webb being the name. However, they are leaving it open to rename it if indeed there is evidence that James Webb is guilty of any transgressions. So interesting to note. 
Yeah, no, I, I genuinely, I have to admit, I did not read your news point today. Um, so I actually didn't know this until right now. Uh, but I think that this is, this is good that they're looking at this. Um, I do have to say that I think that it's, it's surprising to me because we, we for so long have just, just mentioned James Webb, James Webb, James Webb talking about the whole, or, or talking about, uh, this, uh, telescope. And for us now, after, you know, 300 years of waiting for it to launch, uh, we might have to uh, change the way we report. Uh, so it's, yeah, I don't know. Will the, the listeners get what I'm talking about when I, when I dog on whatever the new name is, if it changes? Because, like, I feel like I might have to kill that joke at that point because nobody will, will get my jokes if I can't keep saying, you know, James Webb's never going to launch. And I have to go, yeah, well... Keanu Reeves isn't going to launch. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so NASA has had a past history of naming their great observatories for momentous people within yeah. the uh, scientific community. And James Webb, although he was not a scientist himself, he was more of a government bureaucrat that went back years and years. This was actually at the tail end of his career that he was chosen to be the head of NASA. And he, he did some good things. He created a vision for NASA. He created the bounds of the mission by which NASA would move forward. It was the 60s. There were some bounds on society back then. I won't say that James Webb was or was not guilty of anything that has been, uh, I won't say accused of, but uh, concerns have been arisen by uh, people. Uh, matter of fact, there was, I believe, could get this wrong. So we'll have to run a correction next time around. But I did read the entire nature.com article. And in that article, I think they said that there was 1200 scientists and engineers and people within the space that signed the petition that said, you need to at least look into this. So NASA is looking into this. I mean, it is not a small task and a historian is probably the best place yeah. to start because you have to go into all of these past documents, records of meetings. What meetings did he attend? What was the topic of that meeting? What was the agenda? What were the notes that came out of that meeting? Did they discuss anti-discriminatory practices or discriminatory practices of any kind whatsoever? Right. And back then it was McCarthyism. So, you know, did he, uh, was he involved with the FBI along those lines? So uh, uh, everything that's come out so far has said, that he was trying to do the right thing, but I don't know. And I, I won't make a judgment either way until I see the evidence. And obviously I can't see the evidence of this. So historians can't see the evidence yet. So we'll see. Uh, I just want to bring up two things in the chat. Number one, uh, Albert Sims, uh, his, he's saying telescope, McTelescope face. I like it, Albert. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, if you're going to rename it, why not? Yeah. Uh, but secondly, Suncast brings up a point. He goes, I, I feel like it's a little late in the game to change the name. Now, now here, here's the thing. I, I get where he's coming from because, well, like, I know I said 300 years we've been talking about it, but, like, literally, we've we've been talking for, for a very long time because it seems like it's been taking a very long time and there's been a lot of delays. So I think a lot of the discussion, a lot of the um, work on it I get where he's coming from. Like it's already been done under that name. And so like, then it goes up and then it's up there. But here, here's the, the counterpoint. I think to that is that the Hubble has been up since 1990 and we still talk about the Hubble. So 
the development these 300 years that you and I have been talking about on the Gunna Geek show is, is you know, how long has it actually been? We've been talking about like three, four years. Is that how long it's been? Uh, it's well, since I'd started talking about space on here, but it's been going so, on for a while. I'm trying to get the exact date for you as we in, go on. In here. any case, that might just be a portion of the life of this name. And so I think that it it makes sense that they look into this now. And here's the other thing, too, is let's say that they do launch it. They can always rename it. Like, I, I'm sure there'd be, it'd be a little harder at that point, but there's lots of things in the world that went by a name and have, have recently changed. So I, I don't think that just because it launches under James Webb doesn't mean that they continue necessarily to call it that. They can always rename it, but... I think at this point, it's good that they're doing the investigation so they can hopefully launch it under a name that is is fair and is um, respectful and will will go the life of the telescope. Yeah, so according to Wikipedia, which is the quickest way I could find this information, James Webb Space Telescope originated in 1996 as the Next Generation Space Telescope, or the NGST. It was renamed in 2002 after James Webb. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so it's been a while then, but still, uh, point remains that it hasn't done its thing yet, and there'll be probably, hopefully many, many years of it actually being in function. So, we'll see. Yeah, and for the record, you were... Right. The Hubble launched in 1990, uh, to April 25th, 1990 was when it was launched. So I don't know if you looked that up or not, but that was pretty close. Ah, well, every now and then I hear something that you say. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, uh, we do want to say we miss Chris being here this week. Uh, we do hope he will be back next week. We hope so. Uh, if not, uh, he'll be back at some point <laughs> and uh, you should hit him up on discord. Come to gunageek.com slash discord. You could tweet him at the Chris Farrell. Tell him how much you miss him because we like when Chris is around because as you can tell, he keeps us on the rails. Yeah. And he has some good things to say and he prevents us from stuttering along the way. So <laughs> Chris, we miss you and we want you to come back for sure. SP, uh, you've been doing a little program called Legends of Shield recently i have we're covering the what if series which is over on disney plus it is an animated series and it's simply looking into different things that didn't happen but wouldn't it be neat if we saw yeah. what happened in the universe that it did happen so there's three episodes that have come out right now in season one there's going to be a total of nine there is going to be a season two i don't know how many episodes are going to be in there and i don't know when it's going to come out but Stephen, I know that you weren't exactly thrilled with the first episode. We haven't talked about no. it since the first episode. So did episode two and three turn you at all? Or are you still on the fence? Well, you you know me. I don't promote somebody's stuff without being able to direct it back to me. So that's why I wanted to bring up Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. was so we could have this discussion. Uh, yeah. And so I have to say... Um, You have to remove the nostalgia from episode two. I actually still don't think episode two was that great. I think it felt it fell into a lot of cliches. Again, the same problem I had with number one. Lots of things you're like, oh, I see okay. what you did there. Yeah, you just took the thing and you flipped the script. And um, 
it was just, it wasn't it wasn't a one for one note though no no episode one was like really bad one for one note just let's do the reverse like episode one i thought was almost a disservice to what they could have done with the idea of captain carter um two was not one for one but they did very cliche things where it's like well of course they're gonna be good guys of course spoiler alert three two one Thanos is now a good guy. Like, it was all very particular. Was he really a good guy? I mean, I guess he wasn't a bad guy. Right. But they had some other random things in, in there that, that showed signs of promise. Episode three won me over. I just thought because they, okay. they didn't focus on, they didn't just be like, and here's the story, and this is how we got there. Like, they're just like, here, here's your, your episode story. We're going we're gonna to go right in it, full speed ahead, and we're going to have some crazy adventures all around here. And then we'll let you know a little bit about some of the change part way. And then we'll just keep have it, keep telling our, our random story that we started. I just feel like a lot of episode three was very random and very off of um, the source material. Let me ask you this. Do you know what the what if moment with the convergence or the divergent moment was in episode three? Can you describe the what if moment? Uh, well, that was the thing is they they claimed that it was well, yeah, I like they claimed that it was the death of um, mm. extra name. It wasn't the death, although I mean that is what was result, but it wasn't the the what if moment wasn't the death. Oh, really? That's the way they presented it, though. No, it it was. A, a contributor to what happened. No, the what if moment was a individual becoming an agent of shield. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense that that was okay. Yeah. Which was, I, I was not that. shown on screen. So I could get where um, you get confused there. We talked about I, that on the latest episode I, of I Legends of Shield. I, I'd like to hear your, your, just, uh, we're being vague for all the listeners, just so we're not spoiling it too much. I would, I'll have to listen to that episode. I haven't heard it yet. I'll have to hear your arguments. I don't agree that that was the moment based off of my initial thoughts, because let's say that they became, they became an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., this character. They didn't have to die. If they didn't die, it yeah. wouldn't have triggered the events. So well, I, I don't actually agree that that was the conversion moment. See, the death was arisen by the fact that the individual was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And in our timeline, the individual is not an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. But you're talking about you're talking about a, a TV series that originates around the idea of what what changed in this universe to make something else happen mm -hmm. that when, when you're looking at that. This person that we're talking about becoming agents of shield, uh, becoming an agent of shield, they could have got to that moment where they were going to die, and another universe came out where they lived, and that wouldn't have sparked the events. So that's I, why I, I don't know about that. That that's a good question. So go back to that discussion. Yeah, it's near the end of the episode. Okay, yeah. Go go back to yeah. that. Not this Legends of Shield, but actually watch the What If episode if yeah. you have time. And go to the end, watch that discussion, or listen to yeah. that discussion. And you can come out with I, I will whatever you want. I believe that it was the individual becoming an agent of Shield after watching it multiple times. But I'm not saying I'm right. Yeah, this, this is the fun I'll, part. You get to discuss 100%. this sort of stuff, and that's where yeah. that's where it won me over was because like this story was so 
random compared to the source material because it was just screwing with everything. Like nothing happened that should have happened in the MCU. And because of that, it was so much original material. And then at the end, we get this sort of tie-in to like, oh, okay, there's that character that's actually in the MCU that it was very original content. And it enables these sort of discussions, these sort of thought points, as opposed to, well, we took Captain America and we switched out the character. <laughs> like, so I, I, that's where it won me over to keep going on the ride. Captain America has been a recurring theme in all three episodes so far right. in some way, yeah. shape, manner, or form. For sure. There is something that references Captain America in all of them so far. I don't know if that'll be true for the rest of them. And the other thing we do on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is we've been going in depth talking about the voice acting oh, yeah. of these series. So you have the majority of voice actors, which are the actual characters from the MCU coming in, but there's some that aren't. And we talk about the, the background voice actors and then their plethora of expertise and their filmographies and stuff like that. So if you want to discuss any of that, or if you want to hear us discuss any of that, go to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We'll be talking all about it. Uh, the other thing, I know we're running a little late here, but hey, we didn't have an episode last week. The other thing I want to just give a, a shout out right now is that if you're not watching Star Trek Lower Decks, don't expect Star Trek. Expect a cartoon that is just for fun. Just a fun cartoon in the Star know. Trek universe. Like, I, it, I don't know. There's a little bit of Star Trek in that, there, especially there with, with Riker. There is. But if you're going into Lower Decks thinking you're going to get a Star Trek TV series, you'll be disappointed. If you are wanting Star Trek in a cartoon and you you go into and it... Not, not the 60s cartoon yeah, either. exactly. And you go into it knowing that it's, it's a cartoon of today that is just trying to get some laughs here and there and and also have a bit of a, a loose story. I think you'll have fun. I think that Lower Decks has was a nice surprise in season one. Season two has just continued to deliver. Uh, cameos have come in a couple of times now. Latest cameo, maybe misused, but I, I'm enjoying it overall. And just... They point out the absurd things that have always happened in Star Trek and just be like, yeah, it happens. <laughs> and and, and they, they play to the camera a lot. So I love it. I think it's great. Break the not fourth only, wall. Break the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah. Not only do they say it happens, but they create a whole storyline yeah. about it. So yeah. that's I'm not going to write. I'm not going to spoil what it is, no. but I know exactly what you're referring to. And yeah, it's not only not only that storyline, but there's others along the way. Look, mm -hmm. the, the one thing that I like about shows like. Star Trek Lower Decks or Archer or Venture Brothers is the they're absurd. They uh, have really crass moments, but they have a lot of heart. And it's the heart in this series that really draws me to it. And without the heart, I like even Modoc, which we covered over on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was a stop animation thing. It had a lot of heart to it. And the heart, if you can get the heart into a film or found family, Found family into a series or something like that. It just makes you want to watch. It's a story that you want to watch. It's not just the cliche stuff of the past. So I think Lower Decks has it. So we'll see if they continue. Plus, uh, main character of Lower Decks, uh, voiced by uh, Tawny Newsom, who is also in Space Force. So there you go. Space Force. 
More real than you think. <laughs> so for episode... Wait no. a minute. Before we go, I want to say <laughs> one right. thing. I was recently guesting on a podcast, Smoking oh, yeah. and Drinking in Space, in which we reviewed the 2011 film, epic film starring Justin Timberlake in time. It is one it wasn't, of the few... Wasn't, uh... Oh no, that wasn't. Never mind. I was going to make a Kelly Justin joke, but that wasn't. That was different. Justin. No, Go there ahead. was Olivia Wilde and Amanda Seyfried in there. Oh yeah, and and uh, yeah, it it is one of the few podcast episodes out there that review the film. And I won't spoil why that is, but you can go check that out at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com. It's episode 166. All right. So for episode... <laughs> Wait, you're shaking your head and what? <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So maybe for the third time for episode 389 of the official Gonna Geek Show, I'm Steven John Trusay. Oh, I want Lower Decks to just be like all year round. And MSP saying, I like the shows that I got, and I'm glad that I don't have too much. So we'll see everybody later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.